Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and with me is... Vendra Hardwar. And joining us today, uh, her writing has appeared at Fangoria, Rue Morgue, and Birth Movies Def. She also has a column at Dread Central called Gender Bashing. Anya Stanley, welcome to the Slash Filmcast. Anya, how are you doing today? Hello, thank you for having me. It's great to have you on. We appreciate you filling in for our third co-host, Jeff, who is still recovering from his recent eye surgery. Uh, but... Happy to have you, Anya, especially because you're you're a, a big fan of uh, of horror and writing about horror films. Yes, absolutely. I'm also a big fan of Stephen King himself. I am a constant reader. Excellent. Nice. Well, uh, really grateful to have your perspective on today's episode of the podcast. Today on the Slash Filmcast, uh, you can find more episodes of the show at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast@gmail.com. All we're going to be doing on this episode is reviewing it, Chapter Two. To the losers. We made an oath. I swear. If it isn't dead. If it ever comes back. We'll come back to We didn't stop it. Pennywise. The clown. <laughs> we can't let it happen again. Hello? Kid! That was from the trailer for It Chapter 2, the newest film by director Andy Muschietti. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. 27 years after their first encounter with the terrifying Pennywise, the Losers Club have grown up and moved away until a devastating phone call brings them back. So this is the much-anticipated follow-up to the smash hit It Chapter 1, directed by Andy Muschietti. but uh, yeah, I, I think many people were really looking forward to this movie because the first one was such a success and it was pretty yeah. good. This follow-up the also thing horror movie ever, right? Uh, yeah, it was certainly up there. Uh, it broke a lot of records. I think it was it, to this moment it is still the highest grossing yeah. uh, September release um, out there, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so yeah, broke a lot of records, did really well. And then when they announced the cast for it chapter two, I mean, I got super excited. A lot of great actors in the cast, including Bill Hader and Jessica Chastain. So was very psyched for this movie. A lot to look forward to. Got a little bit discouraged when I heard that this movie would be almost three hours long. But hey, maybe it would figure out a way to justify that runtime. So Anya Stanley, I guess my first question for you is, do you feel like this movie deserves to be three hours long? No, I do not. <laughs> and I love a good long movie. I'm I'm a staunch supporter of A Cure for Wellness and uh, Midsommar and, and a lot of movies that um, push towards a three-hour runtime. But this one just didn't earn it. It was filled with fluff, and it was filled with a good half hour of things that did not need to be there. Another half hour was filled with things that really should have been set up in the first movie and just feel shoehorned in in this movie. Mm. So your overall thoughts on the movie, it sounds like you weren't a fan? I was not a fan, which is very disappointing because I was just as hyped as you guys were for this film. And I love, love, love the first film. Um, for me, It Chapter 2 does the opposite of what a proper sequel should do. It discards the best elements of the first film and it refuses to choose a tone and stick with it. Mm. Um 
It's well, just, it doesn't work for me. What do you think were the best elements of the first film? For me, the best elements of the first film were the way that the scares were constructed. I talked about this in my review, which I just turned in today, actually. Um, for which, I, where can people check that out, by the way? That's going to be at Vogue Visage, V-A-U-G-E-V-I-S-A-G-E-S. Oh, my gosh. I just had a white Russian. And so oh, wow. it is it is amazing <laughs> that I was able to spell that on nice. the first try. I probably didn't spell that right. But <laughs> yes, that is where you can find it. It'll be running tomorrow morning. But yes, the um, the scares, the way that they're constructed is actually a subversion of the normal jump scare. And I know a lot of people hear jump scare and they go, oh, those are overdone. Those are terrible. But if it's done right, the thing, the shining, even Rosemary's Baby has a jump scare. And when it's done correctly, it works and it's effective. And what it does, the very first one, they take the jump scare, which usually has a little bit of tension and then a turn where the audience feels comfortable for a moment. If you think back to Poltergeist and there's that scene with the kid who's during a thunderstorm, he sees a clown on his chair, like a little toy clown. He gets freaked out. He looks at the clown. He covers the clown with a blanket. Then the tension ratchets up when the clown disappears. And now you're like, oh crap, where's the clown? Then the kid hears a noise under his bed. He looks under the bed and there's nothing there. Once he lifts up that, that bed sheet and there's nothing there, there's a brief moment of comfort like, okay, nothing's going to mm-hmm. come out and scare me. Then the kid stands up and the clown was behind him the whole time. Oh, my God. That's how a great jump scare works. <laughs> what it does, the first film, not, not the second one, um, they take that tension and they just keep raising it without that moment of comfort. So the clown shows up uh, in front of a kid who lost his toy boat you're already uncomfortable because it's a freaking clown in a gutter. Then after that, the tension just continues to rise and rise and rise as you can see that the kid is slowly kind of sort of falling for Pennywise's tricks. And there's no moment of comfort or or, um, arrest for the audience until the clown finally bites this kid's arm off and drags him into a sewer. And they show it. They show it. it. I was surprised by, yeah. After that climax, that's when you're allowed to rest as an audience member. And so many of the scares in the first film are constructed like that, where it's just ratcheting, 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 increasing tension. And uh, no, the, the garage no rest. thing and the, uh, the, garage. the slideshow is perfect. I think that's Absolutely. the best part of the first movie for me. Absolutely. What the second film does is not that. Um, they take, they, they go back to the old school method of jump scares where they, uh, They'll give you that brief moment of, of rest, but what they give you after that brief moment of rest is what they've given you before. It's recycled scares. Or they undercut the scare with some kind of baffling needle drop or some kind of mm. bit of humor that doesn't quite land the way it's supposed to, and it undermines the scare. Now it's not as scary as it's supposed to be. The moment hasn't landed, and the tone is just weird. The, when I was in the audience at my screening, the laughs were kind of scattered as if people weren't sure if they should be laughing or not. Yeah. I don't know if you guys got that or not. It's like a badly edited comedy at times, basically. Right. Right. Yeah. It it doesn't choose. It doesn't choose a lane. You know, it it tries to be, it's almost like it doesn't have the full confidence of its convictions. Right. Like it, it, it's uh, the first movie played it pretty straight when it came to the scares or a lot of them, but this movie, uh, adds in a lot of humor and you well, know. also Bill Hader. Bill Hader is sort of like this. He, I think, he is the MVP of this movie. Like, I think he he oh, is yeah. doing so much. But 
I don't think they quite know how to handle his energy and how to like fold that into the rest of it. So he's allowed to be like great and quippy and funny, but yeah, everything around him doesn't quite like match that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, it, it sounds like you weren't a fan of a lot of things about the second film, including the tone. Let me ask Devinder Hardwar, what did you think of it? Chapter two. It too long. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Uh, no, it, it, I will say there's a lot to enjoy in this movie. Um, I think of the first movie like it's honestly none of the scares actually really worked for me. I think because it was trying uh, to me, I felt like I was seeing it try to subvert uh, the way scares typically work in horror movies. So a lot of times it just feels like, oh, I see, you know, this is going to be a scary scene and it ends up being a scary scene. I didn't feel like surprised or shocked by any of that. Uh, I think the best moment in that first movie is that garage scene where it's just like this strange thing is happening and the kids don't know what to do and they're freaking out and it gets weirder and weirder and then like you know, it all goes to hell. So I think for me, like I wanted more of that in this movie. I think there are some you know, there are some sequences that are really well done. Uh, you know, this is a movie about uh, people basically coming back home and the discomfort of that and dealing with childhood traumas and things like that. I think looking at it in that broader respect, like this movie, there's a lot going on here. I just think, uh, yeah, they it's not that they need to pick a lane, but it just feels like uh, there is there's just too much. There's too much traffic. There's too much stuff going on for you to really focus on the characters and like the core story. And uh, even though this thing's so long, they also didn't even um, uh, build up Pennywise, I think, as big as they could have, certainly as big as the book does. Whereas in the book, he is sort of like this cosmic force of horror. Right. And they kind of hint at that here, but not really, not to the same degree. And I would have liked to see, you know, the time spent towards that rather than um, following some tertiary characters that we don't really care about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's there's just a lot of fat to this movie. The first one works because it's, uh, you know, it's over two hours long, but it feels a lot tighter. It feels a lot more focused. This one just feels uh, shaggy, shaggy as a movie. Uh, not not really a fan of that, but it looks amazing i think just like the first movie did i I will say that uh i love just gazing at this thing um i love the adult cast all around bill Hader's fantastic james mcavoy kind of wasted uh he is manning so many franchises now and this one he just seems like well i'm here i guess the fan i don't was he one of the ones the fans wanted to because i feel like bill Hader and jessica chastain were the big ones people were trying Mm. to bring on uh jessica chastain is here not really doing much which is unfortunate given her level of talent and uh, it's not just the comedy. I feel like this movie has weird, wild tonal shifts all around. It starts with a brutal, brutal homophobic attack that honestly left me uh, kind of breathless. Like, I, I was not expecting this movie to go so just like it is brutal. Like, it's it's a vicious attack. Um, it feels like something you typically see in a 90s movie about, you know, that's actually more focused on, you know, gay and lesbian stories. And this kind of comes out of nowhere. And I just, I don't know, I didn't quite expect that. There's also a scene uh, that's basically a brutal domestic attack. And it just feels like it, it, the movie goes from like, you know, a three or four to like 11 really quickly. And that was just scary, I guess, on a dramatic level. It's not even the fact that it doesn't feel like a horror movie thing. It just feels like they didn't know how to manage that level of drama in a movie like this. Uh, But yeah, those are my thoughts. Uh, Dave, what did you think? Well, Devendra... I guess you could say that in Jeff Kanata's absence, my thoughts on It Chapter 2 could best be summed up in the form of a limerick. This film is an adaptation, a horror film that tries to be fun, but it's a big bloated bore that makes us try to ignore 
It's a remake of It Chapter One. Uh, I mean, adaptation. Yeah, I mean, wow. that, that was kind of rough. That's uh, that's something. I mean, look, I, Shakespearean I, right there. I, yeah, I started yeah. it, you know, like ten minutes before we started recording. So just you know, like keep... this movie, you're like, well, I'm starting this thing. I guess I gotta finish it. I gotta, I gotta make a three hour long. <laughs> we'll it. figure it out. We'll figure it out later. Yeah, we'll figure yeah. it. Yeah, we'll do it live. We'll do it live. Uh, yeah, I, I share your opinions on uh, both of your opinions on this movie. I thought it was um, a huge disappointment. But l- let's start with, uh, you know, I, I want to mention a couple things about the opening of this film. First of all, as you mentioned, Devendra, it does begin w- with a brutal attack that, uh, uh, Anya, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that is actually from the book, It, correct? It is. It is from yeah. the book. So it is. It's and it's- not, yeah, go ahead. It's given much greater context in the book. There's a scene right after that that attack that happens at the police station, which gives much more context to the homophobia already present within the town of Derry. Right, right. Here it feels like bigotry porn, basically. It does. And yeah. I'm interested to see what people think who have not read the book and, and are just going in blind on that and, and how they're going to read that that brutal attack in the beginning of the movie. So uh, I, I have not read the book, and I think that uh, when you use imagery like that, it is very inflammatory. You know, like I'm not against using imagery like that categorically, but I do think that when you use imagery like that, you have to justify it somehow. You have to be trying to say something with the movie. And I think the movie does try to say something, but I don't think it does it particularly well. Um, yeah. I think that yeah. there is... They never a, even mention those attacks again. Yeah, right? I, I mean, there is, it does tie into like a theme of homosexuality that is present in the rest of the movie that we can get to in spoilers but yeah. and that the movie never also ever makes really overt yeah too. Like, yeah it's, so re- it's weird it's really yeah, weird i agree i agree i mean i think that on a very general level that opening scene with the homophobic attack is like it, it's it's theoretically about the moral rot of the town uh mm-hmm. but the the problem is that this movie it feel to me to be honest it feels like a harry potter movie which is to say i was never a big fan yeah, of those movies yeah. and what I felt like those movies suffered from greatly is they were mostly just like fast forwarding through all the plot points that were in the book. And that's how this movie felt to me is like, hey, we just got to hit a bunch of these beats, a bunch of these scares, a bunch of these moments uh, without imbuing them with any significance, without pausing to uh, kind of reflect on what it's the movie itself is trying to say. And that's quite a shame uh, because it, it's somehow a movie that feels way too bloated and long and yet doesn't have enough substance to it right like that's right that's how it feels it to me. hits like, all yeah. of its points it hits every point but mm-hmm. it, it each point is flat it doesn't have any weight to it yeah yeah like um it, yeah and, and i think that opening scene with that attack is like a great summary of what's wrong with this movie is wow when you open with something that brutal uh and that kind of uh and t- attention grabbing and sensationalistic you better have the goods to back it up uh, yeah, and yeah. it. I don't. I think the movie fell far short of that. And uh, and there's a lot of like. I, I would say the only other imagery in the movie that's comparable to that is like child murder, right? Like there's there's children getting murdered in this movie as well. well. And it's an it movie. You expect child murder here and on there. On screen, you know. Yeah, yeah on screen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there, there is. I will say uh, that that domestic assault sequence is is also kind of. It felt cartoonish. It felt like. <laughs> You know, all of a sudden, you know, we're watching a scene of a husband just being extremely cruel and brutal and abusive to his wife. And that's certainly that's also part of the book and certainly part of that character. But yeah, it's not there's no nuance to it. It's certainly I think of the way like um, 
the way Mike Flanagan writes his characters, right? Who is, I think, you know, probably my favorite uh, horror director working right now. Like, you look at Haunting of Hill House, all those characters, everything that they're going through, it's all tied into who they are as characters. So even when they go through traumas, you kind of feel something. Whereas in this movie, it just feels like here's Beverly older and things are rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that th- you're, what you're describing is exactly what I'm talking about. You're, you're saying, oh yeah, that scene was in the book. That X yeah, scene was in the book. Y scene was in the book. And it's like, it. yeah. yeah, and the movie is like hitting all those scenes. But it's like, hey, hey, when you um when you jump from the brutal uh, gay assault to the you know extremely frightening domestic assault, it's like you 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 have to uh, re- again, you have to really justify shifting tones that wildly and uh i don't feel like the movie does that i think what the movie's message ultimately is which i think you know we, we'll talk a little bit more about in spoilers but it's about like childhood trauma and how we deal with it is very muddled you know like i i don't know that i really felt like the movie landed its message uh, and I don't think the movie feels like it lands his message as evidenced by the fact that there's as many endings in this thing as Return of the King. So <laughs> I think that uh, this is a movie that was pretty painful to watch. If Honestly, if I wasn't reviewing it for this podcast, I probably would have walked out of this one just because it was really? so brutal and long. I, I will say I, I did not feel like that. I didn't feel like it was too bad. It felt like it felt a little fluffy. It felt like, oh, they they really are just um, banking on the success of that first movie to make a really luxurious three hour long horror movie. It didn't quite like it, it. Yeah, it certainly didn't deserve that. But I didn't hate the time I spent in this movie. It just felt, oh, this is this feels like something made for Stephen King fans or people who really love certain elements of the book. Certainly tightening up would have made it better. I don't hate this movie. I will say that like it's better than the miniseries. Have you guys D- Dave that miniseries? Come well, on. let me say let me say a couple a couple things. Let me say a couple of things I liked about this movie, mm-hmm. Chapter Two. Actually, one of them is that uh, so at the beginning of this movie, they basically you revisit all of the characters from the first film as older people, right? Mm-hmm. And I I love that kind of stuff. Um, where within a span of like three minutes, you have to convey who a person is, you know. And I feel like the movie did a great job of that. Uh, and like I, I just kind of eat that stuff up, and I thought the movie like I'm excited to learn like all these people who I actually quite enjoyed, um, it, like watching these characters in the first film. Uh, now we get to revisit them under different circumstances, and the movie needs to demonstrate a lot of economy in showing you who they are. So I, I, I did enjoy that. I think Alex Skarsgård is great. Um, uh, or is that is it Alex Skarsgård? Which Skarsgård is it that plays? Uh, I believe it's Bill. Bill Skarsgård. Sorry, apologies. I knew it was one Alex of Skarsgård. Alex is taller and older. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I enjoyed Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise. I think he uh, brings a lot to it. Like Tim Curry is the best thing about that miniseries. But yes. Uh, yes. But Bill Skarsgård kind of makes this character his own as well. Like he brings its own sort of menace and uh, longing to this character that I think is, is pretty interesting. And mm-hmm. so like uh, the, the movie is not a total waste for just that alone. I've already mentioned how good the cast is. Bill Hader and his humor does a lot to redeem the movie and make it watchable for me. Uh, and also a lot of the imagery is really striking and interesting. Yeah. I, I think Anya, you you uh, articulated well some of the challenges with the jump scares. Like the the jump scares are less interesting this time around, uh, mm-hmm. but I do like a lot of the imagery. I, I do think there's some indelible images, uh, some indelible frightening images 
in this movie um, that I will uh, mm-hmm. probably that probably I'll remember for for a while to come. There but, are some extended sequences that I think are just really well done horror movie sequences too, and what one of those was basically the trailer. You know, so or one of the trailers. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll talk more about that in spoilers because I really like what they did there. Yeah, I, the, I, the production designer, I think, deserves a medal for this yeah. movie. Like as far as the set pieces that they came up with, especially in the third act, I guess we'll get into that more with the uh, uh, the spoilers uh, section of the uh, recording. But the set pieces were absolutely stellar. They were enclosed. They were overwhelming. Even when some of them are brightly lit, some of them are dim, as you'll find in most horror movies. But a lot of them were just absolutely visually stunning. And um, it, it did a lot for the atmosphere mm-hmm. for the film, even if the scare component didn't quite yeah. work out the way I wanted it to. The atmosphere at, was great. At certain times watching this movie, I definitely felt like, wow, we are getting like basically you know uh horror fantasy like large mm-hmm. scale this this felt like lord of the rings at some point at least in terms of the imagery like there are points where you see the characters in a line just walking through dairy too it's like oh this is this is fellowship of the ring this is just them going on their quest um and it felt like you know something on that scale so i think to a certain degree i do i can't hate this movie i'm very glad it exists i just wish it was a little tighter a, a little more polished so you you bring up it the miniseries right and mm-hmm. I, i'll just say when i watched that miniseries as a kid it scared the hell out of me yeah like, yeah because uh, tim curry's great yes it, it, it was uh i mean i remember the miniseries opens with like uh one of the kids looking at like uh georgie's older brother looking at like a photo of georgie and like uh-huh. the photo like winks at him right in in the uh in the miniseries and uh-huh. as a child that is like that one, one of the yeah, John Ritter starts crying too. It's it's one of the most terrifying things because the idea that like this clown can somehow distort the very nature of reality, you know what I mean? Yes. Like uh, it was one of my first horror experiences and because it was on TV it was so accessible. Uh, and so I remember being quite scared of it. Of course, looking back, have you back gone on, back to that, Dave? No, I haven't. But I've seen, you know, I've seen clips of it. I watched like the honest trailer of it. I like, feel like you should just try to sit and watch that thing. I think I lasted thirty minutes. But, or so, like, yeah. It's, but here, it's, here's yeah, here's what I'm gonna say, though, Devendra and Anya. I want to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, it mini. I assume you've seen the It mini series, right? I have, unfortunately. Yeah. So here's what I'm gonna say about the It mini series. Okay, despite all of its flaws, of which there are many, uh, it uses many practical effects. And <laughs> I think if you look at, like, for instance, there is a the the Chinese restaurant scene that happens in the original miniseries and then in this movie in this movie it's like the cg is extremely hit or miss it's yeah. extreme like some of the cg looks awesome and some yeah. of the cg looks very very bad and i think the the chinese restaurant scene is very very bad whereas they use practical effects in the miniseries and yes some of those effects are like pretty dated looking but I I just kind of think that practical effects do a, an overall better job of standing the I've- test of time than like bad cg I do think it's it's more in that scene from what I recall, because I, I haven't rewatched that bit lately. Um, they never really like focused too much on it because it was like, you know, cheap practical effects in a way like they had to kind of hide it a little and yeah. uh, kind of make you scared like that. Whereas in this, the CG and this is why I don't like throughout this movie, actually, is like the CG is so good. We can do anything. We can create anything in a computer. So now they, they want to show it. You're going to see the weird like spider babies and, and other crap on the table. And they're going to give it, they're going to give each thing. It's time. And they're going to show it to you clearly. 
And I, I don't feel like that leads to it being scary to me. I don't. I don't agree that it's about what they're showing you. I, I I think it's about the quality of the CG. And I think the CG in the Chinese restaurant scene in particular was just very bad. Like there's some CG in the yeah, movie it's that's not good. that's it's that's, not that's good ex- yeah. There's some CG that's excellent that I'm like, oh wow, like that is indistinguishable from reality. Um, mm-hmm. and that that CG is good, but just bad CG looks let's let's say like bad cg is way worse mm-hmm. as an impact on a movie than bad practical effects are in my opinion sure um, but the, I, I i will say this dave like even good cg I, uh, my thing is like if you're staring directly at it right if we if they made jaws today you know with the perfect power of cg and the cg shark just seeing the shark all the time does not make it more scary it is it is the dread it is the not seeing it Oh yeah, I, I agree that that yeah. the, that CG is a temptation that many filmmakers yes. use as a crutch unnecessarily. I agree, but um, but I don't think like CG itself is bad in any way, uh, for sure. So Anya, uh, what did you think of the It miniseries compared to this new film? And and like now that we have uh, basically another miniseries, like f- almost five hours worth of It movies, right? They basically wanted to make this into two movies, right? Yeah. I think they right. they had asked about that. Yeah, so we we basically have another It miniseries. Um, how do you feel like this one compares to the old one? Well, I feel like with the old one, when the first film came out in 2017, I guess we could call it the, yeah, the first film, because the mm-hmm. other one was a mm-hmm. miniseries. Um, when it came out in 2017, just before it came out, I decided to go all out and I reread the book, which I hadn't read since I was like 14, 15. So it, it was, um, it was strange to come back to it as an adult. And then after I was finished with that, I watched the, the miniseries, which I found at a thrift store. And, um, when I watched the miniseries, oh, I barely made it through that thing. And I remember, <laughs> I remember as a child being absolutely terrified of both Pennywise and like you were saying with the, um, the picture frame, um, yeah, that yeah. winks, not only does it wink, but it, there's a later scene where the picture frame, uh, of Georgie fills with blood. Yeah, and I remember having right. nightmares about that sequence. And so it, it definitely hit me hard as a kid when I saw it, probably way before I was supposed to see it. But uh, coming back to it now, it was just, oh, it was just terrible. Um, if you were to put chapter one and chapter two together, and I think Muschietti is actually coming up with a supercut, um, as I, I, I've heard through the grapevine on Twitter that he's, he's planning a supercut of both films together, which I would be interested to see. Um I, I feel like it's better than the mini than the 1990 miniseries, but um, as far as the CGI goes uh, versus practical effects, I, I I understand that in the 1990 miniseries they were using what they had available at the time. Yeah, yeah. And that with this film, you know, we're, the, the the filmmaker is using the resources available at the time. But sometimes it's done well and sometimes it's not. In the it chapter one. I know it's not actually titled Chapter 1, but I just keep calling it that to differentiate it from Chapter 2. Yeah, same. Um, there's a sequence with Pennywise coming out of a fridge, and it looks like uh, almost like a contortionist coming out of a fridge. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment where he spins halfway around, um, where his body's completely twisted around, and it's something that a real contortionist could never do because they would be dead. So that part was done with CGI, and I thought that that was really well done, and it added to the scares of the the, the scene itself. But in It Chapter 2, there's a scene um, near the very end with uh, Pennywise, and it's basically only his head that's used, and, and the rest of the, the vision that he creates is CGI. And that took away from the scene for me. 
um, it took me completely out of the scene. And I just I, I, I had wished so badly that they had done some kind of practical effect with it, which right. I think was is, is possible. Um, and it, it goes back to one of my beefs with the film is that I wish Muschietti had a little bit more confidence in Bill Skarsgård to hold the frame because he definitely mm-hmm. can. Yeah. And he has so much physicality in the first film, you know, so much of him jumping around and using his body in strange, imposing ways that he didn't really get a chance to do in this film. He was kind of put more into the shadows in this film. And you really only saw his face for most of the film. And I really wish that he had been allowed to shine a little bit more because Pennywise is awesome. And he was one of the the uh, one of the best elements of the first film was Bill Skarsgård's performance as Pennywise. And in this film, it was mostly like starring Bill Skarsgård's face and maybe a little bit of his body here and there. Yeah, or but a CG it, version of it, basically. Right? Or a CG yeah. version of it. And, and, and that, that took away from the film for me. It, it, it knocked a star off for me, basically. Mm. All right. Well, we have much more to discuss in spoilers for It Chapter 2. But before we get to that, we got to thank all the people who donated to the podcast this week. Uh, we haven't thanked donors in a few weeks, so this is going to be a bunch of people, many of whom donated uh, to honor Jeff Kanata, who's out right now still recovering uh, from his surgery. But we got Arnold T. from Irvine, California, donating. We got Daniela Olivos, who is donating on behalf of Dennis Johnson. And she says, Dennis is my most talented, funniest Stanford friend who introduced me to the podcast years ago. Dennis, if you're still listening, miss you wherever you are. Thank you for introducing me to these guys. Um, so thanks, Daniela, for that donation. This this donation made me a little bit felt, – felt a little bittersweet to me because it's like, yeah. hey, this is like a, a, a really awesome friend that Daniela had uh, from Stanford who – uh, maybe it sounds like they don't keep in touch anymore. She's using the podcast to reach out to uh, to Dennis. And so, Dennis, if you're out there, uh, Danielle is still thinking about you, and she appreciates uh, you turning uh, her on to this podcast. So uh, thanks also to Thomas W., who writes about uh, our summer movie wager. Uh, he has a personal summer movie wager, and he includes a bet that the Slash Filmcast collects the loser's debt. So this year, I thought it prudent to bet on Dark Phoenix and New Mutants. So I'm donating for the victor, Jim Corbett. Well, betting on New Mutants is a rough uh, thing wow. to do for the summer. So, yeah. uh, Anya, I don't know if you're aware, we do this thing called the Summer Movie Wager where we try to predict the top movies of the summer by domestic box office. And uh, everyone on the podcast makes their top ten lists. Uh, people out in the world do as well. And so it looks like someone put New Mutants on their top ten, which like was a very... <laughs> Pretty pretty bad decision because New, New Mutants was never released. Uh, that and, is unfortunate. <laughs> and it may never be released. We'll see. We also got Alex T, who gave a very generous donation dedicated to Jeff Kanata. James Stewart, Christy from Bremerton, Washington. Colin Gooding from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Walter B, who Walters the Walter. Ellen from Melbourne, Australia. Tobias from Berlin, who writes, Every week, you guys, help me remember why I fell in love with movies. Thank you. And Jeff, please get well soon. So uh, if you'd like to donate to this podcast, you can always go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. You can also go to slash film.com. Click on the slash filmcast tab. Use the PayPal links on the side of the page. All the money you donate does go help us defray the cost of doing the show uh, and putting it on for you. We never want you to donate if it in any way causes you any hardship whatsoever. Uh, But if you want to throw a a few bucks our way, we'd really appreciate it. And you can always support this show for free. By going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a review for the Slash Filmcast, we'd really be grateful for that. Please um, do, yeah. Please, please do that. Right, now. it literally takes. Those are the things that gets podcasts like highlighted, you know. So that's good. That's good for everybody. It's good for everyone. Give us a star rating. Takes a few seconds. Uh, you know, 
every little bit helps. So yeah, if you would go to Apple Podcasts, leave a review for us, we'd really appreciate it. All right, let's get to spoilers for oh, it. One quick thing. One quick. Oh thing, yeah, yeah. Dave. Sorry, Devendra. Yeah. So no problem. So 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 the Decatur. Uh, the Decatur saga continues. A, a few weeks Dream ago, is full circle. Yeah, yes. a few weeks ago, uh, people from Decatur, Georgia, started using the donation section to donate uh, to the Slash Filmcast, and then try to arrange a meetup through these donation messages that I read. And after multiple uh, failed attempts, they were finally successful. And it, it seems like you were invited to our Decatur yes. meetup this week, I right? was in Georgia a couple of weeks ago. Uh, uh, my family lives not too far from Decatur, so I swung by with my brother Danny and his friend Nadim, and I got to hang out with uh, Jordan, DJ, Ferzan, Patrick, Morema, and Sam. And yeah, we hung out for a couple hours. We had some drinks. We had some great food and some great chats, you know, about movies and all this fun stuff. And I just want to, you know, put a, send a shout out to all those folks. Thank you for arranging all this and it was fun meeting you all and hopefully uh you know maybe i'll see people there soon too uh it's nice to know we have a you know, we have a crowd of fans in the middle of georgia it's always fun yeah the decatur saga continues thanks for making davindra feel at home there in georgia let's move on get to spoilers for it chapter two starting right now now you're looking for the secret you're trying to see this coming no. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. Let me start by saying that before we get to spoilers for It Chapter 2, I am going to spoil the Darjeeling Limited, the Wes Anderson movie. Uh, Anya, have you seen the Darjeeling Limited? I have, and I'm interested to see yeah. how you Where's how you connect going? these two. Well, <laughs> I, I remember reviewing the Darjeeling Limited with Devinder Hardware on this podcast many years ago. And, uh, I mean, that that's not a very good movie, in my opinion. Um, nope. Uh, not at all. But one of the things that I remember Devindra saying about that movie is the very end of that movie, it concludes... So it's about these three white dudes who are, like, visiting India and... Uh, experiencing personal growth while experiencing the uh, exoticism of another country. And they conclude the film by literally throwing their baggage off of a train, I think, right? Or, or, Or they like throw their baggage off so that they can get onto the train and move on with their lives. Something like about their personal baggage is how the movie ends. And uh, I remember Devendra pointing that out and saying it was, you know, staggeringly obvious as a metaphor. Uh, That's what I thought of at the end of this movie when their childhood (laughs) scars literally vanish from their hands. I I think you can thank Stephen King for that, though. There there are a lot of bits of this movie that are... I remember reading it in high school. That there's a lot in that book that would not translate to movies. Um, I'm, I'm glad they certainly left certain things out of uh, the first it. I know uh, exactly what part yeah, you're talking about. Yeah, too. that's rough. Um, are you talking, about, yeah, the or- are you talking like... about the orgy scene? Is that what you're talking about? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Child orgy. Child, Child orgy. orgy, baby. Um, it feels like this movie kept more of those things in, even when they, yeah, a little too blunt. I think his stuff works better on the page than it does just seeing it on the screen like that. So, uh, Anya, curious about if you had any favorite scares, any least favorite scares from the latter half of this film. Oh, the least favorite scare is definitely with, uh, who's the, uh, the hypochondriac, uh, Eddie. Yes, mm-hmm. Eddie. 
there's a scene where he goes downstairs to a basement and he hears the calls of his mother and she is strapped to a ch- uh, like a like a, a gurney, um, like a medical table. And also his very large mother. And that's very ba- large. That's the, joke. that's the joke. His mother is fat. That's that's the entire joke of that. You know scene. that the the actress who plays his mother is also the same actress who plays his wife in the film. What? Oh, I how, didn't know how that. on the nose is that? That's I, amazing. I, yes, I thought that was actually a really good choice. I I, <laughs> I figured I called it while I was watching the movie, and I I gasped out loud course, when I looked at her face. And of but course, I, they joke about the wife's weight too, and they they joked yes. about um who's it the other new kid's weight as well. Like that's this feels like very eighties writing basically. Yeah, you can tell when the book was written definitely. Um, the so Eddie goes downstairs. He, there's a scene that's just filled, chalk filled with dread where his mother is in danger of being, uh, what's the word? Not killed, but, but like attacked, I guess, by, by a thing. And Eddie, you know, unties her and uh, no, he, he leaves her actually. Doesn't he leave leave her? Yeah. Yeah. He, He abandons his poor mother. And, um, these this thing chases him and it vomits onto his face now that in itself can be kind of goofy okay but it has it's accompanied with one of the most confusing what the fuck needle drops i've ever heard in my life and it's just i I was my jaw dropped during this scene like what is happening why did you do that to this this terrifying moment that could have been absolutely like an all-time scare for the film and it was also like for three seconds it was like you didn't even need the music drop because that clip that that edit was so short Uh, it reminded me of a much more fun random music drop of uh of uh aquaman when mantis is making his new suit and it just ends up becoming an 80s action montage for no reason i love like i can i can totally abide like random music drops like that in this movie just felt like weird and so short not even to be like meaningful i i I was watching red letter media's review of this movie and i think they described it really well it felt like somebody accidentally left it on the like final cut timeline (laughs) you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. like oh hey it's supposed to be temp music right like let's experiment with this music and oh for that one shot we accidentally left in this by the way the song is i think uh angel of the morning by juice newton is that Mm -hmm. right yes um and so it, it is very very bizarre and i think it it completely undercuts the moment as a scare right it's like oh this is supposed to be terrifying but oh it's funny but only for three seconds uh very 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 strange yeah i I will say so the thing i was talking about was uh the whole uh beverly sequence going back to her apartment that was basically the first trailer for this movie and i kind of love that they did that they just kind of let that scene play out and it's really well constructed even if the scares are a bit just like it's an old lady just acting weird off off camera or out of focus. Like that's the scary bit. But the the finale of that in the trailer was just the old lady like coming at her. And in the final movie, it is like giant uh, naked booby monster, basically. <laughs> and I that the fact that it was different honestly scared me a little. Like that was like, oh, I was expecting this one thing. This is not. This is not that thing. And uh, I'm reminded of like the first time I saw was it the American cut of the descent i think and like so i had seen the um the uk cut before and that had a completely different ending 
and see like just seeing something you have already seen it goes completely another way yeah it's uh it's a little terrifying honestly like the world oh i thought the world worked this way but it doesn't yeah that was a good scare that was one of my one of my favorite scares yeah. of, of the film uh anya any and, you're talking about a scare you didn't like is there any scare that you appreciated in the film and that was the one, the one with Beverly. And that's yeah. because it adheres to that formula I was talking about with the first film where the dread is just ratcheted up and there's not a single moment of rest until she finally gets out of the apartment. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Pennywise's application of his powers is so random, you know? And I think that's a pro- that's actually a problem because, like, I I feel like some level of predictability actually makes things more scary. Like, if you understand mm-hmm. a monster... Uh, and, and like you feel like you understand the constraints, the rules, the, you, you, you get stakes. You're like, oh, I understand like the, yeah. sh- the room is shaped like this. And therefore yeah. the character has X percent chance of getting, you he know, like basically do anything. Yeah. yeah. But the character can basically do anything and he's extremely selective. And in the first film that like kind of made sense because I think uh, my understanding, Anya, and this is not very clearly explained in the film as far as I recall, but like. If the, if the more they scare the kids, like the more the creature scares the kids, like the more delicious they taste when they eat yes, them. Is that right? The tastier, yes. So yeah. that's why he has to ratchet up the dread the way he does, yeah. rather than just jump on them. Yeah, and uh, but in this movie, like it's not as clear, like that. And it's also a situation where the characters learn at the end, hey the way we get out of this is by not being scared of you. But that's exactly yeah. the same thing that they came to the conclusion of at the end of the first film. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So but like, they, they forgot everything. So I actually like the bit that I, I like, I've always liked that narrative element that they basically forgot the trauma and kind of what that represents. It's clunkier here for sure. Uh, but yeah, it basically ends up this movie being um, the Simpsons episode too of uh, just don't look or stop, you know, stop believing in the scary thing. Right. Which uh, it just uh, again, it feels like they already learned that lesson, and yeah. it, even if they all forgot it, like uh, Old Spice guy, you know Isaiah Mustafa, like he doesn't forget it. He didn't forget that, you know. So like, why? A- a- anyway, and then the whole turn yeah. with him at the end of like, oh, you lied to everyone. Um, yeah. You're actually wrong. Not really communicating well. The answer like was in you, do. but the true answer that you didn't have to lie about was in you all along. Uh, I mean. Okay, yeah. why even they, they inc- kind of run up, they run up to Pennywise's place too without like a clear plan. Like we spent the whole we spent two and a half hours, you know, building up to this plan and he doesn't explain to them, okay, there's gonna be this ritual and we're gonna do this thing and there's gonna be this chant. Everybody good? Go. But no, all the information is just like, yeah, presented to them as they're running there. Uh yeah, not great, not great. And it's frustrating because in the book, this ritual is heavily, this takes up whole chapters, this right, ritual, right. the underground clubhouse that they use that as almost a hot box to, to, uh, open themselves up for the, this ritual as children and as adults. Like it's a whole thing that actually should have been set up in chapter one mm-hmm. if they didn't want to, sh- because now, now that they're putting it in here, it feels shoehorned. And now people who are watching this film are going to go, why wasn't this I don't remember this clubhouse yeah. at all from the first film. I have film, no right? nostalgia so. for this thing that they now have nostalgia for in the movie. Yeah, it's, weird. it's like, why didn't they put that? It's And that's another thing, actually, about, I mean, there's so many problems. Like, I'm just rattling them all off. But, like, one of them is, like, um, the, I, I don't know if you guys could tell, but whenever they flash back to the mm-hmm. uh, the younger losers, like it, they were all very obviously ADR'd, which is to say, like their lines were re-recorded and and probably mm-hmm. had effects applied to them. Um, my understanding was like many of them had to be de-aged, yeah, because yeah. Um, yeah. two years have passed, and like two years when you're that young, it actually makes a significant difference in how you look. 
and all those scenes with the young losers looked and felt wrong. Like they, they just mm-hmm. felt off to me because of post-production stuff. I mean, I think everyone did their best. I don't think like, I think everyone worked really hard on it. It just, it never quite felt right to me. And the fact that they're flashing back to stuff that like some of the stuff seemed to happen before the end of the first film and some of it seemed to happen after the end of the first film. Yeah. Uh, it, it just really was confusing why they're flashing back. Like why, why did they need all that stuff in there? It, it just, I, I found it to be all nonsensical like why it, it why might you, have yeah. been better if they had extended this a little and actually made those two separate movies like just to really let certain some of these things breathe a little more right i think that this film is is perfect evidence that if you're going to adapt any kind of king epic like it or the stand or the the um what was that other one that he did under the under the other name um regulators, desperation, mm-hmm. if you're going to do any of those huge, huge tomes of his, you really have to do a full-fledged miniseries. You can't just do right. a, a couple of movies. Like There's a 10-episode so series or something like that, right? Right. Yeah. It will not translate well if you try to cut corners. It'll show. You know what else doesn't translate well, Anya? I think uh, Stephen King's portrayal of Native Americans. Um, you know, which... I was, at first I was thinking like, okay, well, they really needed to dive deeper into this whole hot box uh, mystical artifact thing. And I was like, well, because <laughs> it's kind of like it's kind of like that whole magical Negro trope that that, like, again, Stephen King is unfortunately he's he's pretty known for. Kind of um, a master of it. Yeah. Well, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't help that Isaiah Mustafa's character is the one like presenting all the literally magical things to the rest of the crew. Um, <laughs> Drugging the rest of the uh, the rest of the losers. And, yeah, and, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that if um uh, I think the way Native Americans are depicted in this movie is shameful. And I think that if it was like uh, like another ethnic group or if it was like an Asian group or whatever, like I would be furious about it. I mean, I'm I'm pretty furious about it already. What, you, but wait, like, what exactly are you furious about? Just the fact that it's represented as like a ritual like this? Well, just that it's it's like it, it, it kind of, in my opinion, it like otherizes them uh, in a way that uh, we've already seen many times before. And like... Uh, it, I don't think it, it does honor to Native mm-hmm. American rituals and customs. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah, sure, it, sure. it, it exoticizes it, yeah. and others them in, in a way that we're, we're at Poltergeist 2 levels of Native American <laughs> fetishization right exactly. now in this Thank movie. You. Exactly correct. Yeah, that's right. And I think that like uh, certainly there's a time period in our history when we did that a lot um, and whatever. Like we didn't know any better back then, one could say. Uh, but I, I think we do know better now, and I feel like when you're making that adaptation, like you can change many things, and that's one of the things you you could change because uh, it just I don't think it's aged very well. So, mm-hmm. um, but uh, anyway, the ending of this movie, a lot of the movie is spent with people talking about how they don't like the ending of James McAvoy's books, and and you know uh, most Stephen King. Uh, f- books have like a writer in them, right? And it's kind of like a it's kind of like a Stephen King proxy. Are you saying he's writing himself into the the book safe. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. he's literally in this movie talking about how <laughs> the book endings are bad. So, like, you have, I mean, it, it, and it, by the way, it feels interminable. It feels like a joke they beat to death. To be honest with you, like, it's not like why is Peter Bogdanovich in this movie? Like, there's just a <laughs> lot of like inside jokes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so so all that said, they've been talking the whole movie about how oh the, these books are really hard to end or they don't end well. The endings are bad. Stephen King even says it himself. My question for you, Anya, is how did you feel about the ending of this film? Did you feel like it ended in a satisfying way? 
kind of. Um, uh, so first of all, with that, that there's no other reason for that dialogue to be there about endings and about uh, uh, the the need for closure being BS and all of that. It felt like that dialogue was there as a preemptive apology for the ending of this film itself. Which is bizarre because I feel like the movie ending is very neat. You know, like I thought it was it was the closest thing to writing the ship that Muschietti could have done with an ending for this film, mm-hmm. uh, for a film that that spent two hours doing things I did not like or appreciate that last half hour or so did as much as they could to kind of correct course. And um, while I feel that the the Native American aspect of it, that the mystical uh, aspect of it was unnecessary, once you introduce that whole Nightmare on Elm Street, you have no power over me, I don't believe in you, that once they introduced that ending... The, the mystical Native American portion of it was unnecessary, but I thought that the ending itself outside of that was really good. And that was the only part of the movie that that final act where, for me, the chemistry between the adult losers actually worked. Yeah. All of the emotional beats landed as they were intended to. The humor uh, uh, helped enhance the, the, the narrative rather than undermining any kind of scary moments or emotional beats. I thought it worked as well as it could, given the circumstances. Yeah, and it's a shame because I think that the the younger losers actually have like more chemistry overall than the older losers, um, mm-hmm. and, and like yeah. I think I find them to be much more uh, interesting as actors and more convincing um, than. I than think the that they that... also just like spent more time with each other too. Like it feels like they they hung out together, whereas the older losers are huge Hollywood stars. So it's like, okay, I'm flying in. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do these things. Uh, there, there's a lot of funny stuff. Like I think a lot of the cast said they reread the book, and Bill Hader was like, "Fuck that." Um, it's, it's just funny things. Like maybe not everybody was on the same page, and you could certainly tell that Bill Hader was on a different page than everybody else in this movie. And to a degree, I can understand that because yeah, the yeah. the Losers Club themselves they had only reassembled after 27 years yeah. of being apart, so it makes sense that the chemistry wouldn't be there right away. But I will say that I enjoyed the scenes with the kids way more than the scenes with the adults, and that that runtime that that nearly three hour runtime felt the heaviest during the one on one scenes between the adult losers. I was checking my phone a couple of times. Yeah, uh, Devendra, any any thoughts on the ending? Um, I mean, it felt uh, pretty matter of fact, like there weren't any real surprises uh, thematically. I feel like it all kind of wraps up uh, one interesting thread. I just thought as I was watching this movie, it does kind of between the hateful, you know, homophobic attack at the beginning of the movie. The fact that all of Pennywise's like, uh, you know, uh, mouth breathing henchmen, I guess, uh, throughout the uh, the Bowers. Um, they're all pretty hateful as well. And that whole scene with uh, Beverly and I guess the ghost of Pennywise's daughter saying, um, oh, man, you know, he made it in this country without any handouts. Not like not like people today. Uh, really, really interesting to read some you know parallels between this evil clown uh, and his hateful rhetoric and another one. I thought that was fun. <laughs> wow. A little bit <laughs> of a stretch is. there, Devendra, but fair enough. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, the only thing I didn't really like about the ending was how it felt like this movie ended like many different times. Um, yeah, yeah. There's, oh, hey, we've defeated Pennywise. Nope, we haven't. Okay, now we've really defeated Pennywise. Oh, now we got a GTFO out of this cave that's collapsing, you know, and it's like, oh, okay, maybe the movie. Nope, now we got this letter yeah, thing yeah. we're doing. It's just like, hey, now Isaiah Mustafa's like leaving, getting up, and le-. it's like, oh my gosh, like, how many endings does this movie need to have? Like, especially because. <laughs> 
I don't feel like most of the character arcs fully landed. You know, it's not like, yeah. oh, I, I want to see how Bev's storyline ends. Like, I want to it's it's more like I, I felt like the movie was so scattered trying to yeah. show us these random scares that we don't really care that much about rather than working on character development. What um, was with the Funhouse scare? Like, really? Did well, we even need the Funhouse mirror scare? Like, I understand on a character level why, but it's like, that's one way to take a major character on a completely different part of the map than everybody else. Not really helpful when you're when you're doing something like that. It's, it's oh, mildly... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go yeah. ahead, Anya. What were you going to say? You know what? That kid didn't need to be in the movie at all. <laughs> did not need to be there. That was another That was another 15 or so minutes. Every scene with the kid in it did not need to be there. Well, what you, I mean, what even him. happens to that kid? I mean, he's dead. He's right? dead. He's, he's dead. dead. What happens to his oh, family? Yeah. Like, is this his family upset about him being dead? You know, his like like that guy that keeps following my son around went in after him. Yeah, into this fun house. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Also, we we didn't really get any confirmation or any like real good conclusion for Bill Hader's character and kind of what they're going through. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of subtext about why he's crying over, you know, who died. But mm-hmm. if you're going to do this movie, if you're going to start with a hateful homophobic attack, like have some balls, have some balls right. and like say it. Say the it homophobia you're... was shouted, but the the yeah. actual homosexuality or the, the queer coding, as they might call it, is just whispered at the yeah. end. Yeah, well, well put. Uh, and I, I mean, I felt like this movie, here's the thing. Maybe I just don't remember it chapter one very well. But I felt like this movie like retconned all the characters a little bit. You know, like when one of the characters dies, like, oh, yeah, Stanley, he was the best. And I'm thinking, like, was he? Like, was he Was he really that cool? <laughs> he was and he's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the end, when the other uh, guy died, Eddie, is it Eddie that dies at the end? Um, yes. You know, they're like, well, Eddie would always know how to make us feel safe. And I'm like, did he? What? Did he? <laughs> like, would he really be? You know, and it's just like, I, I think when you watch a movie like this, like, ideally you the viewer feel the same thing that the characters feel you know like you're like oh man yeah like eddie was awesome at doing blank you know but i never felt any of that and to me that felt like a failure of the films um have you guys by the way have you read uh, mike ryan's interview with james ranzone who plays eddie no no it's 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 pretty it's kind of insane it's it's a it's a long crazy funny thing, but he's like, I think at one point he's like, yeah, if I if I can make this uh this clown movie work, I could I could be the next Dom DeLuise. Like okay, <laughs> okay, James Ranzo, all right. It's just funny, so look that up. That's over at Up Rocks. Yeah. All right, Anya. Any closing thoughts on it? Chapter two. I wish that it was an hour shorter, and that uh, several pieces. That didn't need to be there. Were cut. I just wish that they had translated the book a little bit better than they did. Yeah. Um, and that it's very pretty, though. I will say that it's it's mm-hmm. good to look at. The visuals are gorgeous, and I would love for the production designer and the the art director and set decorators to get nods for all the awards that they could possibly get, despite whether or not I actually like the film. All right. Well, like- that's going to bring us to the end of this week's <laughs> episode of the Slash Filmcast. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. This episode was produced by me, David Chen, and edited by Beatty Zhang. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Anya Stanley, where can people find more of your work on the internet? 
All of my work is contained in an online portfolio at AnyaWrites.com. That's A-N-Y-A Rights.com. And you can visit my gender bashing column, which is way more positive than it actually sounds, <laughs> uh, monthly at DreadCentral.com. All right. How about you, Devendra? Or you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech at Engadget.com. Keep an eye there for all our iPhone coverage for this crazy week. And, uh, yeah, we're going to be spinning up the podcast soon, so keep an eye out for that. Find uh, all my stuff at DaveChen.net, and also I have a new podcast called Culturally Relevant, where I talk with cool people every week. Uh, check that out at culturallyrelevantshow.com. Next week, we're going to be reviewing the Dewey Nicks classic, Slackers, on this podcast. Quote, unquote, classic. Yeah. Slackers, which is Slackers. Uh, we we literally lost a bet, and that's why we're reviewing Slackers uh, with Jermaine Lucier. Uh, I, do not I, do not watch this movie. I will say, <laughs> don't watch this movie. Just listen to our episode. Yeah, listen to the episode. Do not watch, watch this movie. movie. Do, we usually say like, watch the movie and be ready for the episode. Do not watch yeah. this movie. Do not give Sony Crackle the ad money for this movie, please. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for the Slash Filmcast this week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. We watch the movies, flicks, tracks for the good, bad. It's the Slash Filmcast. For all the news and the movies coming out, because you know that it's the thing worth talking about. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.